Praise God from whom all blizzards flow. Praise Him at thirty-five below. Praise Him in snowdrifts ten feet deep. Praise Him though winter makes us weep. It's really cold. Well, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I didn't hear this Minnesota, as they call it, the, the Minnesota doxology. Um, Till yesterday at the men's breakfast, and it was a great breakfast, a great speaker. So I just want to encourage you when you see those to get a chance to be a part of it. But that's that's kind of been the week, hasn't it? And I've asked Jeff to come up here, and uh, Jeff is going to share with us in a moment. But before he does, I just want to share with you a couple things. And one is if you have a communication card, you'll see it. It's in the seat pocket in front of you. If you would just fill that out, especially if you're a guest, we'd love to get information from you. And we'd also love any praise or prayer requests that you have, you can put in there as well. And it'll be confidential, and we love to pray for you. After the service, we have people who would love to take a moment to pray with you about whatever is on your heart. You don't have to come up and think, boy, it's got to be some big thing. There may be something that God is saying, I just want someone to come around you and pray. Um, Jeff, if you want to come over and uh, and just take a moment to share with us Jeff Bry is the leader of our finance commission, and you've seen him up here from time to time. Sometimes we on our worship team just say, let's, we need a funny moment. So let's have Jeff come up and do something. Well, we're not having up to do that, although it may be funny. Anyway, um, you shared, yeah, <laughs> you shared at our uh, congregational meeting last week in a number of you. We had a good turnout, but we always know that not everybody can hear what's going on. And, and so once in a while, we like to just say financially, here's where we're at, especially as we turn the corner in our fiscal year um, in January, as we head to our end of our year in June. I'm going to ask Jeff to share a little bit about that, tell you what's about, um, and also those people who are online. We have people. I'm gonna, wherever, where's the camera? Wherever you are at listening in some warm remote area, pay attention. Jeff. Alright, thanks Kevin. So, real quickly, I was, I presented last, uh, Sunday in the business meeting and probably had, I think, 10 or 12 minutes to do that presentation. And I have three minutes today to do this, this version. So it's a little bit daunting because I have to do the Cliff Notes version. And it dawned on me that that may not actually be a problem because many of you survived entire English classes in college using Cliff Notes. So this is really just a, a, a short recap of what you experienced in your college days, potentially. Exactly. So we're going to cover two things. One is, where do we stand today in our finances? And secondarily, what can we do to close the gap? We talked about this last week a little bit. First of all, through the first half of our year, our giving was off or under budget by about $125,000. So that's the gap we have to make up in the back half of the year. It's important to understand that typically in our cycle, we kind of come out of the holidays, we get back on our plan, we kind of drift down a little bit, and then we make it up at the end of the year. So it's important for us as we come out of this holiday season to make sure we don't slip, first of all, and and move backwards, Uh, but also how do we close that gap? And many of you, when you meet out in the lobby this afternoon or this morning, and you're talking to your friends, someone may come to you and say, hey, I've decided to take the Grande Latte Challenge. And if you weren't there last, you'll have no idea what that means, right? So what that is, is I was going online, I realized that the average American spends $1,200 a year buying coffee, or $100 a month buying coffee. 
So I proposed last Sunday that we as a church over the next five months should take the Grande Latte Challenge. And what this means is, if you're not currently a giver of the church and haven't stepped into that piece of your, of your faith walk yet, look at what you spend monthly on coffee and then match that amount as a first step into your giving. And if you are a regular giver to the church, which is fantastic, we have many of those, look for ways that you can increase your giving in the next five months uh, by the amount that you spend on coffee every month. Now, if 250 of us do this, hopefully a couple hundred that are already givers, and maybe a stretch goal of 50 of us who currently don't give on a regular basis today choose to do this, $500 a month for five months over that 250, 250 people is $125,000. So that alone, your coffee budget over the next five months will allow us to close this gap as we kind of close out our fiscal year at the end of June and, uh, and set ourselves up for next year's, next year's budget. That's incredible. You did that in, in, in three minutes. And I, I have to say, what if you're not a coffee drinker? A lot of them out there going, I don't drink coffee. Well, Any vice? Counts? Yeah. Well, cocoa. Uh, yeah, we could we could name numerous. Okay, we could name it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask us to have the ushers come forward. Jeff, thank you so yep. much, and I'm so grateful for Jeff and the team for what they Absolutely. do. Thank you. And uh, ushers, you come forward. One thing I want to share with you. Did you see um, back here? Uh, Lily was playing the viola. Has anybody noticed that? Yeah. What? That was her first. That was her first time, and we are so, so blessed to have such gifted young people in our, she's a sophomore, and so we continue to see God just bringing forth people blessed with music and so many other gifts. So thank you for the way that you sing and participate in worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these gifts. Thank you for um, calling us together as your family. A team that has been united here to do something far greater than what a Super Bowl team will do today. A team that's united to know you and to love you and to love others with that same kind of love that you have for us. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we uh, stand to pray and uh, take a moment to do that, I want you to note in, again, your seat pockets, there's a little thing called Parents' Night Out. We've been looking for 40 adult volunteers because all our youth who have done this in the past are away. We want to gift our community, especially families, single parents. 
with an opportunity to go out. And so if you want to volunteer, please let us know. But more importantly right now, we've got close to 30 of these families, uh, single parents who are signed up. We would ask that you would take this if you know someone who needs it. We want to, on Friday, the day after Valentine's Day, that day, to give people an opportunity to either go out for dinner um, meet together with some friends if they want to do this, couples, um, as a, maybe a single parent just wants to go home and sleep and not take care of kids. We really don't care. But from 530, 830 uh, on this day, we are going to be serving a group of people because we're here to serve those around us in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand, would you? We're getting a new series. Last week I handed out these whatever it takes. We talked about whatever it takes servants and kind of move into a new thing. Whatever it takes servant is also a servant that is connected. And so we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Father, would you open our hearts to be able to see, to be honest, to let down our guard, to let you in, to help us to see where we might need to be more connected to you or connected to someone important to us. And even more than that, God, where you would open our eyes to see people who need to be connected. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Your heart. That, that, that looks and sees others who are in their need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A year ago, last January, Britain appointed to its first minister for loneliness. And some of you may have read that in accounts of a paper about a year ago that happened. The person holding this, it's actually a political office, is charged with tackling what Prime Minister Margaret Thatch, uh, Theresa May, I'm going back quite a ways, Theresa May <laughs> called the sad reality of modern life. And that sad reality was something that was moved, moved them to do something about what they're seeing happen in, in England and in the United Kingdom, and especially some studies in London where they found that loneliness was a serious public health risk and problem. And as a result of that, they felt like if they could step in and do some things around that, they would actually in, decrease what was becoming burdensome on their national health programs. And so they did exhaustive studies And they found that the lonely are not just sadder, they are unhealthier and die younger. And they found through five different studies that they had um, put together the risks around health that is associated to loneliness. Living alone and having poor social connections, they found, are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is worse for you than obesity. And we have a a national movement around, you know, let's watch out for obesity. Loneliness and lonely people are more likely to suffer from dementia, heart disease, and depression. Loneliness is likely to to increase your risk of death by 29%. Think about that. Loneliness not not only is a, a health problem... It's reaching epidemic levels here in the U.S. 
And you've maybe heard some studies on this. Vivek Murthy, he's the 19th Surgeon General of the United States. He wrote in the Harvard Business Review this article that says that loneliness is a growing epidemic. Rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Just in a generation, he says, today, over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely. And research suggests that the real number may be well higher than that. And I'm guessing in this group, there are people who feel and experience loneliness. And my guess is you probably go to school with someone who's in your class. You work with someone in an office, in a cubicle near you. You connect with other salespeople, whatever it is, in different places you will find lonely people. This past year, Forbes magazine shared a study conducted by the global health service company Cigna. And they did this large study, and here's what the study found. 46% of U.S. adults report sometimes are always feeling lonely, and 47% report feeling left out. 27% said that they rarely feel someone who understands them. 43% said that their relationships are not meaningful. Think about that. Half of your relationships, and they're they're saying, are pretty much fairly surface. Only 53% have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having extended conversations with friends or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. And here's, here's something that probably won't surprise people. The loneliest generation, who do you think it is? It's the Generation Z, 18 to 22 years of age. The loneliest generation. And with all these studies highlighting loneliness and our lack of connection with um, each other, and we started, you know, I've been thinking about this series for quite some time about this idea of needing to be connected. What I find interesting is this reality. We are the most technologically connected culture that has ever existed. Think about it. I remember uh, just a few years ago, my daughter was in China, and she had the free texting thing. And so at one point, it was about 11 p.m. at night, I received a text. And I texted her back. And honestly, within seconds, I got her text. It went like that. And I was just thinking to myself, not, not even 100 years ago, it would take six months to go to the other side of the world. It would, it would take a few weeks to get a letter there. And I'm connected with my daughter with her real thoughts in the second. Matthew Lieberman, the author of Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect. And there's all kinds of studies that are are coming out about how we are people who are wired to be connected to other people. We're just social creatures by nature. He writes, consider Facebook. There are more than a billion people with Facebook accounts. Facebook is the most commonly visited website in the world, ahead of Google, Yahoo, eBay, and Craigslist. The internet dominates our lives as no technology has before. And the place we go most often is Facebook. And this is what he writes. That's because Facebook offers the best deals on nothing. If Facebook, he writes, were a religion, and some argue that it is, it would be the world's third largest behind Christianity, 2.1 billion, and Islam, 1.5 billion. Americans spend 84 billion minutes per month engaged in religious activities. 
and 56 billion minutes on Facebook. And then he goes, there is a good side. What Facebook does provide is an efficient way to stay connected with the people in our lives. It allows us to keep in touch with people we don't get to see as often as we want. And it will help us reconnect with people from our past to relive fun of, and even to relive the fun of last night's party, he says. And I thought about it. If Facebook were religion, as Lieberman says, what are we discovering? We're discovering that it's not necessarily the best religion, the most helpful religion for creating connections. You can be on Facebook and not necessarily be well connected. You can be on Facebook and not have the kind of connections that I think Jesus came to help people experience and know with God and with one another, with your family, even with people you um, work with. A number of you will recall that in, in the beginning of this year, we did a all-church fast. Anybody remember the all-church fast? And a number of you participated in that. And we had encouraged people to fast from food, to fast from reading the paper or from TV, social media, or whatever it is. Whatever it is that you are kind of inclined to go to. I, I kind of said when you feel hungry, what you should do then is take that hunger pang and turn it to God and say, God, I'm hungry. I'm more hungry for you. Or if you feel the impulse of, to get on Instagram, you, you take that impulse instead of turning there and say, God, I want to connect here. I want to more connect with you. And, and kind of laid out that challenge for people to do that. And we had just a great response. And I discovered as we did that, that as I talked with people and people shared their stories with me, people who were 40 years and older, guess what? Almost to a person, they fasted from food. You know, either from sweets or, or they, 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 they fasted from maybe just having a meal. There were a few really courageous people who fasted for, for a whole three days from meals. Just had water and I was told coffee because you don't want to get a three day headache. What I discovered though, as I had opportunity to connect with a number of our Younger families and, and singles who are in their 20s and 30s. I was surprised by two things. First, by how many actually participated at that age level in her fast. And this is the thing that truly surprised me. Across the board, I did not meet one of them who fasted from food. Now, after the service, I'm sure I'll get some people to come up and tell me they did. But everyone I talked to fasted from what? Social media. They fasted from things like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. You name all the different... They said, I'm going to fast from that. I received a note after that fast because we talk about being lonely and we talk about needing to be connected and, and we have places within our culture and ways that they try to connect us and some may help a little bit and some don't work as well. I received a note from someone who had gone on that fast and they said to me, I wanted to tell you as they sent this, I wanted to tell you my experience with the fast. I chose to, well, more like was led to fast from Facebook and that fast has led to a complete break from it permanently. When I joined Facebook, I was looking not only for a way to connect and communicate with people, but I was also looking to fulfill my need for inclusion, acceptance, and friendship. I was looking for a way to feel valued and hopeful it would increase my sense of self-worth. What I have found, though, is the exact opposite. It became a place where the enemy could speak his lies loudly, reminding me, guess it's reminding me of all the things that I lacked in life. Because, you know, most people, when you look at social media, you, you don't show your low light reel. You show your highlight reel, right? You know, you show that 
the, the great catch, you know, whatever you did, you show that. And as addicting as Facebook became, the person writes, it also became very depressing. My self-worth and my sense of value increasingly declined and I felt more and more like a failure. I realized during this fast that I was placing my faith and myself in the wrong hands. I was, it was giving too much, I was giving too much power to the thoughts, feelings, and action of other people and not enough to God. And I allowed Facebook to distract me from God's truth and distract me from Him. So I decided and to remove it from my phone. I can't even see the icon anymore so that I can't even be tempted to go back on. And when I grab my phone out of habit, instead of hopping onto Facebook, I turn to God by reading a devotional study. And it has filled me with His truth and not with the world's lies. Now, I'm not saying get off Facebook. That's not the, that's, that's not the purpose of that. I'm just saying we are a society and a culture and a people that need to be connected. And we are so easily tempted to be connected to something that is easy to move to, superficial in nature. And technology can get us to a certain degree, but nothing gets us to the kind of connectedness that we were created for, each and every one of us, that God intends. People want to be connected. It's just in their hearts. Nobody wants to be lonely. I, I know if I'm talking about this and you've been feeling and experiencing this, and I've gone through times where I've experienced it. You can experience it in different levels. You can experience it in leadership. You can experience it in, in, in social relationships. You can experience it in your job. There's just different places you can experience it. And so as you think about it, you need to let yourself think about where are some of those places. But people want to be connected. It's just a natural desire. I was, uh, last Wednesday, um, was out on that very cold day. I had to run to the hospital. I went to the hospital. And when I went there, there were, the ticket thing wasn't working. So I went in and I parked my car. And on the way out, I knew that maybe it could be working. So I went to the info desk and I just said, you know, it wasn't working when I came. I'm a clergy. Do I need to sign this? He goes, no, just tell the person in the parking, you know, the guy who takes the tickets in the parking little um, booth that you're, you're a pastor. Okay, I thought I'll do that. So I go through and I come up and I pull up and the guy and I say, you know, I'm, I'm clergy. And he goes, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, well, I was at the end of the desk and I tell him all that stuff. And they go, oh, okay. And I never know how people are going to connect to me. I, I a lot of times don't want to let them know that I'm a pastor because when I let them know I'm a pastor, you know, you get this weird kind of connection with people. So I, but I let them know I'm a pastor and he, he looks at me and his first response is, uh, do you want to hear a religious joke? <laughs> I'm going, sure. Like, what am I going to say? <laughs> He's going to hopefully pull the bar up and let me go through if I, you know, so, sure. <laughs> and, and you got to understand, too, the window's down, and the wind, for me, is blowing 50, it's like 50 degrees below zero, cutting into my face. He's back there in his little thing in his warm little booth telling me this religious joke, and he gets done telling me the joke, and I'm about to pull away, hoping he's going to pull up the thing, and all of a sudden he goes, you know, this is how people want to connect. He goes, you want to hear another one? <laughs> I go, sure. <laughs> and then he goes, uh, what did Jesus say at the Last Supper? <laughs> I shrug my shoulders, I don't know, hoping he'll tell me quickly. Everyone on this side of the table, if you want to be in the picture. I kind of chuckle. He's laughing heartily. I'm praying he's not going to tell me a third joke. And he doesn't. 
Everybody wants to be connected. Everybody wants to be connected. Nobody wants to be lonely. Sitting in a little parking booth, collecting tickets. You want connection. Ancients used to tell us wisdom that we need to hear. In fact, it's called wisdom literature. Talks about the necessity of good connections and found in Ecclesiastes. He says in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, some things that are very important to hear because he says people need to be connected. You need well-connected friendships. You need to have good connections in your family, in your marriage. You need to be well-connected to God because that loneliness is something that is in you and you're wired. You're wired to be connected to God. You're wired to be connected to someone you're married to. You're wired to be connected to your kids. You're wired to be connected to your, as an adult child to your parents. You're wired. That's why you feel this frustration. You're wired to be connected to a work group where you're, you're feeling a sense of working together as a team. Right? So Ecclesiastes, and this is why it's called wisdom literature, because wisdom is something that has been proven true in the life and experience of many, many people over many, many years. It's kind of like I call observational wisdom. You just look at this and you go over and over year after year and you begin to realize, hey, here's something that seems to be true. And here's what he says. Reading from the message, I like the way he says it. I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. Because he's seeing things that, that are somewhat meaningless. They're just like smoke. It looks like it's something and it isn't. A solitary person. Completely alone. No children. No family. No friends. Yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog? The Living Bible says it this way, it's all so pointless and depressing. And then he goes on to give you some just good wisdom. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, it's tough. Two in bed warm each other alone. Especially this last week, you shiver all night, right? <laughs> By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped, or the way it says it, and I think the NIV is a, a, a three a cord of three is not easily broken. This comes from a section of the Bible called Wisdom Literature because the author wants you to know from what he has learned and what he has seen and what he's just even himself experienced this truth. Don't go through life putting your work, your hobbies, whatever the pursuit might be, ahead of relationships. I just want us all to stop and, and to soberly think about this for a second. That's what God created us to do in this life, is to be related to him and to one another in ways where we experience his goodness and we share that goodness with one another. That's, that's, that's kind of what it's all about. When you get to heaven someday, he's going to want to know whether you know him and he's going to ask one of, the, one of the key questions. The key question is, did you love me and did you learn to love others? 
It's not going to look at what your title was. It's not going to look at how many, fig, you know, if you get six-figure salary. He's not going to be looking at what you accomplished. He's not going to look at all your education. He's not going to look. He's going to look at one. He's going to say, "How did you connect with others? How are you connecting with others right now?" I told you I was at the hospital this week, and it's one of the coldest days in our generation, and. I just come in and from feeding my horses, and that's a whole other story I could tell you, but it's, I won't. Anyway, they they were mad. Like, who turned down the thump? You know. Anyway, um, and I was getting ready to. Ha- I was just going to have breakfast and sit down and to work on this message. And I received a phone call, and I found and heard the call that a person in her church had had a massive stroke, and and someone as young as me. And a number of you know Jack Amos and of our church family here, Jack and Carol Amos. And Carol put this on, on, on different social media things for people to pray. But I was reminded as I sat with the family during that procedure when they were taking out the blood clot. And, and he's, he's, he's improving. We're going to be praying as a church. And you know, my prayer is for full recovery. But God is the God who determines all. But I was reminded as I sat with the family during the surgical procedure, what is most important? I get those opportunities from time to time. And I couldn't wait to get home and that guy get over telling me jokes. Um, as I go into the parking thing and I just wanted to get home and I just I wanted to tell my wife how much I love her. I just thought about how much I love my kids and and I love my little grandchild. It's just it's so funny that in those kind of moments, things get really clear. And, and everything else gets so fuzzy. And we go all along, all through the days and weeks go on. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, why is it death and loss of life, loss of job, illness? Why is it when we face our vulnerability and our illusion of control that we somehow think we're controlling this whole thing? Why is it when those kind of things happen, we come face to face with what's most important? And, and I just thought, as I was preparing this, why do we have to wait to be shocked into what's most important? And my prayer is that just some of these words would shock you into what's most important. Here's the main point, and it's the only point really. Being well-connected is one of your most important responsibilities in life. Learning to love God and love others. Being well-connected is one of your most important responsibilities in life. And then here's the other thing for us as a church family, because we talk about everyone welcome, nobody perfect, anything's possible. We also then as a church family, one of the things that is important to us when we talk about serving this West Metro is we are going to be in a position, we are going to say, God, take our mind off ourselves and help us to look out and see others who need to be connected. Who, who's sitting near me? That I, I just, they may need to be connected. Who am I working near? That maybe if I just said hello and engaged in a, in a minute or two more conversation, or, or maybe when I was with a person and I, I heard that some difficulty, maybe I ventured out and had enough guts and boldness to just say, could I pray about that? Can I tell you that most, I don't know hardly anybody who will tell you don't pray for me. 
we just need to be in a place where we understand that what is important in this life is the kind of relational connections that are healthy and good and authentic and real and honest and that we're working through stuff that when problems come up, we, for, we, we bring them up, we talk it out and we forgive and we move through it and that we, that we, we speak the truth to one another and, and we, we live in such a way that what we do as a people here is we create a family that is so attractive to others because people are learning to live in a functional way under the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're taking that, that functionality. It's not something of ourselves because we're all filled with dysfunction, but we're taking that, that, and God is working and dealing with our sin, or if you want to call it dysfunction, whatever you want it, whatever is messing up what God has placed in us. And we begin to say, God, begin to place in us who you are so that where we go, we go and we, we serve others and we look for the needs of others and we look to be connected. And what I really want to do is just challenge you this morning. To think about that. To pay attention. We talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. Last week we took time just to be silent. We're going to continue to do that. Because I really believe one of the things that we miss so often in the church is we are just as active and just as busy that we don't stop. And so I'm asking you to listen right now to the Holy Spirit. Is he bringing to mind just one person that may be someone you're to be connected to. Or is he bringing to mind just one individual? Maybe it's your spouse. It could be a parent, a child, a friend, whatever. Where he's just saying, I want you to step in a little bit more into this. I want you to, to do what you can to improve this. Not to change them. Okay, I'm not talking about trying to go in and change people. I'm talking about going in and being yourself and true and showing up in a way that you're authentic. I had broke this down in, in some areas that I think it's important to pay attention to. And I'm just going to briefly go through these. And the first is to pay attention to this as well. What does it mean for you to be well connected with God? You and God. That's kind of where it's going to have to start. Examine this most fundamental connection that you will ever have. That God wants for you. In fact, the whole gospel message. We did communion. You know what communion is all about? It's about the fact that, that we were disconnected from God. And God so loved us that he himself sent his son. And the father loved us so much that through his son, he would do all that he could. He would remove our sin. Not something we would do, but he would do on a cross. He would say, guess what? You don't need to live in shame. You don't need to live in your guilt. I've removed it all because I want to be connected to you. And all I'm asking for from you is just to open your heart and and receive me. All I want is for you to open the door. Whatever's in the way, just what's right now, right now, listen to the spirit of God. And just ask yourself, are you connected well to him? John 15, 5, Jesus talks about abiding in him and, and him abiding us. It's this picture of what I call connectedness. It's being well connected to Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, listen to this, you will bear much fruit. And, and some of that fruit is just the kind of things that you're hoping in your life. You, you want to maybe be more patient or you want to be more kind or you want to learn how to think more about others than yourself, whatever that might look like. He says, when you begin to open your heart up to me and, and, and you begin to know that I love you and, you and you remain in my grace, that's the hard thing to do is to remain in his grace and forgiveness. Because what we always seek to do is try and measure up and get God to like you more and get you. He can't like you any more than he does. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus. He wants to be related to you. So all he wants you to do is to stand in the grace that he's provided 
for you. How's your connection? How are you abiding? I want you to think some of you, you and your spouse. Your marriage is primarily a friendship. In in many ways, it's about being a friendship. It's a partnership as well. It's an opportunity to discover and share interests with one another, to partner towards similar goals like raising kids and all kinds of different things, to get to know and to love and to actually serve one another deeply. It's a relationship that Christian psychiatrist Paul Turnier says is distinct from all others. In your marriage, your sexual relationship is a treasured secret that you share with no other. It requires vulnerability and a sense of transparency. It can be, he says, one of the most meaningful places of connection. Then again, it may reflect your lack of connection and disconnection. A kind of relational climate gauge. And I'm going to talk more in a couple weeks on that when we talk about money, sex, and power. And some things that I think are important to understand with regard to that. But here, I, there's a book that I've read that I've gone and used it to bring some other couples through, my wife and I and some others. It, it's by a guy named Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On. And I love what he has to say. He makes, I think, a really profound point. He was meeting with a couple and they came in and because they wanted help, they were hoping that they would uh, get some help for their son. They talked about how their sons had destructive behavior. He was out of control. He was just... You know, a problem. And so they came in and that was the presenting problem. You know, deal with our son, help us deal with their son. And as they talked, Danny Silk noticed that they weren't looking at each other. In fact, they, as he listened to him and watched them, they were kind of looking down at the floor often and not ever looking at one another. And he just noticed how disconnected they were. And when they finished, they looked up waiting for his console, you know, what about our kids? And he surprised them by changing the topic. Different than what they would expect. And he said, what's the goal of your marriage? And they kind of looked at the floor and they're not sure what to say, wondering, I don't, I don't know. And he says, they're thinking, what's the goal of our marriage? What do you mean by this? And finally, one of them said, asking for a little clarification, do you mean like raising kids, uh, sending them to college, or, or like our financial goals? What do you mean by what's the goal of our marriage? And still gave kind of a sympathetic smile. And he said, no, not parenting or finances, but what's the goal of your marriage is kind of what I'm asking you to think about. And there was this uncomfortable silence filling the room. And and then one of them said, well, peace. It would be nice to have some peace. And the other said, conversation once in a while, that would be nice. And Silk writes at this point, he says that like many couples, they're just not aware of their degree of disconnection. And so he leaned in and he said, the truth is that every relationship has one of two goals when it comes to marriage. Connection or disconnection. And often couples learn to distance themselves from one another. They create a safe distance from relational pain and they kind of go through the motions and they, they go about being a partner towards different things. But they, they don't understand the goal of their relationship is, are we connected? And still continues, the current goal in this marriage is distance. You've developed skill sets around disconnection, around creating safe distance from one another. Sometimes the necessary distance is small, and other times it's great. But the current goal is safe distance, and it's not safe connection. So what do you do about bringing together safe connection? Well, at that point, he says, sometimes couples get kind of upset, and they go, we didn't really come in to talk about us. We came in to talk about our son. And when that happens, Silk says, I just ask them to consider the fact 
That their son may be acting out because he's disconnected from you, which is often a symptom of a couple being disconnected from one another. So I just ask you to think about it, those of you who are married. What's the goal of your marriage? Is it building safe connection for each other? I, I got to tell you, as I was working through this and processing through this, I just you need to know that you don't need to do this on your own. It's one of the reasons we have couples that come together. We've had a ministries that, and, and there are there are we have counselors on staff to help you do this. We we want to help people learn that one of the most important things you can do for your children in your marriage is to be connected to not one another. And so, if you, you're in a place like that, have the courage. I was watching a. This is going to, people are going to think it's political. It's not at all. I was watching the 2020 report just yesterday, and I hadn't seen this, you know, the Becoming, the book by uh, uh, Obama, uh, Michelle Obama. At one point in her little interview, I was really impressed with one thing. She talked about their relationship. It came to a point. Here she is, Princeton, Harvard grad. She talked about the fact that their marriage had become disconnected, and they went ahead and they went and got saw counseling. And they said, well, why are you bringing this up? Because I want people to know how important it is. You know what the problem is? We are often just too proud to get help to get connected. And you, you kill your marriage and you kill one another. And then you and your friends. I'm going to conclude this for you to think about a second. What are those relational connections like? John 15, 15, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. He talks about this kind of friendship where he's building friendship with some others that know his heart, know his interests, and, and, and come alongside them and say, how do we help you grow in life? And, and I just want to share with you, there are people that need to be connected. They, they may need you to invite them to be into a small group. They might need you to kind of assist them and help them in a marriage situation. They may need you, and you may need to really think about, do I have those kind of friends myself? After the service, we're going to have out here, and we're going to do this every Sunday now. Every Sunday, there's going to be a sign out here, right behind here, called Next Step, and Irvin Nancy or some others will be back there. Because we believe worship is an important um, pillar of this church, a commitment that you make. We believe that community, being authentically real with one another, is important. And so one of the next steps that we encourage people to do is get involved in some kind of small group. Get involved in some kind of group where you study the Word of God together, and you can grow deep in your life with one another. And the other pillar is to serve. So we're going to have someone back there to do that. If you would like to be a part of that, I want you to take advantage of that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they come, I want you just to consider some of these things that I've been talking about. I, uh, I, I saw a statistic that kind of amazed me. And, and it's around this whole idea of loneliness you know, from 2000 to 2016, suicides have increased to 24%. That's 14 out of every 100,000 people. And you know, one of the most helpful things you can do is just to start engaging conversation with a person so they begin to open up and share and start saying what's going on. And I thought to myself, you know what? What if just by doing this, we really save some